Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Well, hey, good morning, and welcome to Vineyard Church Online. My name is Myron Jellison. I'm the next-gen pastor here at the church, and we are finishing up our Gone Fishing series today. And uh, if, if you missed it, you need to go back and watch it and get caught up on that content. You can do that through the Vineyard Wheeling mobile phone app. Download that in your app store. You can watch our sermons. You can actually listen to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. Or go to our website and just be able to stream the content there and catch up on week one and week two of Gone Fishing. Now, Chris uh, taught, taught the first two weeks, our lead pastor, and, and he kind of summarized it into a bumper sticker that I think we need to get for him and put it on his car. It says, living for fishing. And that's, that's the mission. That's the purpose of every single Jesus follower. That's why you exist, you to be in relationship with God and then to be able to share the good news of the, of, of the gospel with other people and, and spread that good news. And that's our mission and that's our purpose. And we live to fish, living for fishing. And, um, and throughout the series, uh, week one, we talked about just come and see how you can invite people to, to participate in church and, and in Christian gathering and in Christian conversation around faith and just invite them to say, come and see. And last week, Chris talked about sharing your story. And he challenged all of us to post on social media your story, real quick synopsis of what, what life was like before Christ, when you found Christ, and life after Christ. And sharing your story is powerful. No one can argue with your story. And today, I'm titling this, this message and this conversation I want to have with you, Love to Fish. Love to Fish. Now, let me clarify. I don't mean just like I, I, I super enjoy or in, in like in, am infatuated with the act of like going fishing for sea creatures or sea things underwater. Because let's be honest, I dislike fishing for sea creatures. I do. I do not enjoy it. I might because I had some bad experiences as a child and it's just not something that I really enjoy doing. And one story from my childhood is my dad would take uh, me fishing and we would go fishing uh, over Seneca Lake uh, in Senecaville, Ohio, which is kind of near where I grew up. We go catfishing. So first thing we do, we go get chicken liver. So you buy the chicken liver, it's disgusting, smells awful, and you put it on a hook and you take string and you like tie the chicken liver on the string. And you cast your poles out. We always had a couple poles per person. You cast them out and you literally just prop them up on a log and you just sit there. And you would take a, a pop can and you would get slack in the string and you'd put it around the little tab on the pop can. And then you would set the pop can up. And then if the string ever got tension, like something had uh, taken the hook, bitten the hook, and you runs with it, it would pull the string and it would knock the pop can over. You'd hear the pop can fall over and then you could grab the pole and reel in your fish. So we'd be sitting there with our pop cans on the string, sitting there waiting and waiting on the bank, waiting and waiting. I would get so bored as a kid, I would kick my pop can over on purpose, just so I could grab my pole, reel it in, so I had something to do. And then once I got bored of kicking my own pop can over because no fish were biting, I'd go play with stones and throw rocks in the, in the lake or play with sticks, and I was bored, and, and I just didn't like fishing. And when I correlate this, this, this metaphor that Jesus used about making us fishers of men, that we are to, to go and fish for men, and Chris unpacked this metaphor and talked about how that metaphor kind of breaks down. Like it's not 
perfectly applicable to what Jesus was, was teaching, but it was so uh, intentional and strategic for Jesus to use that illustration because he was dealing with fishermen, people who actually fish for sea creatures for a living. So he talked in a way in which they would understand. And this analogy or metaphor and illustration is so good for us today. And here's the thing about fishing for men in this analogy, is that you and I might have a fear of failure, a fear of striking out, a fear of sitting there all day on the bank, on the shore, on the boat, casting and reeling and catching nothing. And then you might even think, why even go? Like, it's not even going to work. Like, it's not even enjoyable. It's not even fun to strike out. I dislike fishing. And I actually, I just went fishing this week. I just went fishing with my daughter for the first time. I took her. She's two-year-old. So my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, Nathan, comes over to the house randomly, just stops by because he hasn't seen the kids or seen us in a while. So they stop by and he's a true West Virginian. He's got a tackle box, a reel, a bucket, rags, the whole thing you would need, the whole rig to go fishing. And there's a little pond right beside my house that's kind of like a cul-de-sac around it. And, and we're like, yeah, we can go fishing. Then my, my brother-in-law asked Nathan, he's like, can we go fishing? I said, yeah, let's go fishing. it. So we go down, we go fishing and first cast, Nathan casts out, he hooks a fish and then he gives it to my daughter, Avalyn, to reel in. She reels this fish in with Nathan's help. And here's a picture of my daughter's first fish that she ever caught. Take a look. Isn't that cool? It was amazing. It was such a fun time. I still dislike fishing, but that's cute. That's cool. I like it. And then I was walking around right where we were fishing. There's a bench sitting there by the lake. And then I see this sign uh, after we had been fishing for a while. Take a look. Alan don't care. She don't care that we're breaking the rules. We don't have written permission. We're like trespassing on private property, fishing and catching fish. No big deal. Go to the next slide. She don't care. No big deal. But that was our gone fishing experience from this week. And I dislike fishing because we, we, we might just strike out. It might be a fear of failure as a fisherman. And I think some of us need to just switch up our style. Or we, or we need to just change our perspective on what fishing for men, fishing for people, sharing the gospel and our story and the good news actually looks like. Because it wasn't until, I don't know, three or four summers ago that I found the type of fishing, fishing for sea creatures, that I actually enjoyed. And it was my cousin, um, her husband had a boat, sweet bass boat, big motor, thing was fast. We'd fly around the lake to different spots. We'd, we'd change out our lures and we would be fishing for largemouth and smallmouth bass. We'd cast and reel and switching it up, changing it and just going from place to place to place. It was fun. It was exciting. And I realized in that moment, in that experience, that I am an active fisherman. I'm not passive. I can't just sit there and wait like a bobber and a worm or just sit with a pop can on a string on the bank waiting. I have to be active. And I think when I, when I translate that to my, my, uh, my evangelistic approach or sharing my faith or sharing the good news with people, I have to be active as well. I cannot sit back and be passive. And here's what I want to encourage us to do. Let's be active in our fishing. Let's love to fish. Not this good intent philosophy of intention of like being nice to people, right? But action. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Will we serve people? And that's how I am an active fisherman. I serve people. And the one thing that's been so frustrating about this coronavirus pandemic and self or uh, social isolation and quarantine is it has robbed my ability to serve people. Like, yeah, I can call in and text and check in and kind of be there for people, but I can't go help them move furniture out of their house or when they buy a new couch, help them move it in. I can't help them with a project that they have around the house. I can't go and hang out and, and serve and, and love and be there for somebody in person. And it's, it's been frustrating for me. 
And that's how I fish. And I want to encourage all of us to just understand and have, a, have an intentionality in our mind of you love to fish. It is your motive. It is your method. It is your posture. It is your demeanor. It is your language. It is your tone. It is why you will fulfill the mission and purpose by how you love people and treat people. So serve others. And the Apostle Paul gives us an incredible illustration of the body, the human body, and how every part is so intricate and necessary for the body's function. And he correlates that to the church, to you and I, those who have accepted Christ and are following Jesus and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are part of God's uh, family. You are part of the body of Christ, the church. And every person is different and unique, and the diversity is to be celebrated and embraced. Because if we were all the same thing, it wouldn't work. If we all had the same giftings and talents and were wired uh, the same exact way, we wouldn't be able to share the good news in a variety of ways, in a variety of formats, to be able to reach as many people as possible. So you can't fish alone. We have to fish together. We are a team united in Christ, a body that if we don't work together in unison and we are divided, we'll never be effective it actually sharing the gospel. So I want to read this analogy and this illustration that Paul paints about the body of Christ and that we all have a part to play. It says this in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and underline this, highlight this, we're going to come back. And we were all given to one spirit to drink. Hold that and remember that line. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable and treat with special honor and the parts that are unpresentable uh, are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. You and I, are a unique part of the body of Christ. If you followed Jesus and gave your life to Him and accepted the free gift of salvation and received the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you, you have been baptized. You have been brought in to the body of Christ. And your, your, your uniqueness, the way God made you, because you were made in His image, but He has given you unique things, giftings, talents, characteristics, insights, perceptions, understandings. Everything is unique to you as an individual. And we are called to leverage it. And we may think, you know what, sharing your faith and sharing the gospel, that's for like the pastors and like the church leaders and the people who are really good with their words and people who have like a really deep understanding of theology and Bible. False. Because those leaders and teachers and preachers and theologians might be the eyes or the brain or maybe like the, the hands that seem to be the more like uh, valuable pieces of the body for functioning. But guess what? 
the, the, the kneecaps and the tendons and the muscles and the feet and even at the subatomic level, the cells of each individual cell under the microscope, if that's off, the body suffers, the body feels it, and the body cannot um, successfully accomplish the mission and the purpose that it was designed to accomplish. So you have a part to play. As insignificant as you might think it is, you matter. And what you bring to the conversation and what you bring to the mission and, and your talents and the way you're wired is valuable because if the head didn't have the rest of the body or the brain didn't have the rest of the body, it wouldn't even matter. There's no point. We have to fish together. And there's only one thing that we can do. There's one thing. I want to say this. There's one thing that we can't do in heaven. And there might be many things that we can't do in heaven, but there's one thing that I know of for certainty that we will not be able to do in heaven. And that is share the good news. Share the gospel. Share the message of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? You can't share the good news because you'll be with the good news. The only thing you can do, the only thing you can't do in heaven, I know for certainty, is share the good news because when you're in heaven, you will be with the good news. We're all going to be in relationship, hanging out in fellowship with Jesus. So you're not going to be able to share your story. You're not going to be able to share your faith. You're not going to be able to fish for people and share the message of Jesus and the gospel. And you can't do it alone. You should do it alone. You should talk to people. You should have conversations and you should begin to fish on your own. But together, serving as a unit, as a body of Christ, and we should be the most loving organization, the most selfless body of people that are looking to others to serve them in practical ways in which we can plant seeds of Christ in them that will bloom into them, making a life transformation decision of following Christ as well and responding to the gospel. So let's do it together as a unit. And, and think, about, think about it this way. Love should be the foundation. We should love to fish. It should be at the core and the root of everything that we do. Because if not, there might be division among us. And let me just read verse 25 as it goes on. Paul says this, So that there should be no division in the body. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. When there's disunity, Seems like there is probably a different source that we are pulling from. Let's go back up and look at verse 13 in, in 1 Corinthians 12 where it says, And we were all given to one spirit to drink. I told you to underline that and highlight that. We are to prioritize our source of truth. We are to prioritize our source of influence and conviction from the Holy Spirit, the one that God is going to give us, the, the Holy Spirit that God gave us to, to guide us, to correct us, to lead us, to comfort us, to come alongside of us, to teach us. And we need to make that the priority, the source that we are drinking from, that we are receiving from in order to understand how to love. Because you can't love truly the way in which we are to love like Christ loved if we are drinking from different sources. There will be disunity and, and disconnection in the body when we drink from different sources. Now, I don't mean that just read scripture and don't listen to the news or be informed about what's going on around us. No, but don't let the things around us, these other media sources, kind of take the place or precedent over the Holy Spirit and God's Word, the Bible. Make sure we have the Bible and God's Word and the Spirit of God leading us as the priority. And we run everything, every meme, every blog, every podcast, every news story through the lens of Scripture. And what does God say about it? How should I take what I'm hearing around and run it through the filter of God and the Holy Spirit and Scripture so that I can have a true understanding 
of how I am to live out and fish and share my faith and truth of the gospel with the world around me. And I know that some of us have been following the news and what's happening in our country right now and the racial tension that, that exists right now. And I just want to say that, it, that we affirm and, and, and come alongside of everybody and, and acknowledge that we know this. We acknowledge that racism is a sin that God never intended for us to be divided. We, he, he recognizes us as different people groups with different characteristics, and He made us that way, and the diversity is to be embraced and celebrated. But man, we were supposed to live in harmony as one family, and it breaks the heart of God. It grieves the heart of God when we experience racial tension, when these, when these unjustified murders happen, and then the riots, and this tension, and this divide is happening. But I believe he's calling us, the church, to step up in a way in which we can bring love to this conversation and start to bridge the gap of the tension and division and bring reconciliation healing to those who are hurt. So will we cast a net together in our fishing of love, sweeping the, 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 the community, the Ohio Valley, our cities, our state, our nation, and our world, and we would be irresistible. Like people would want to join in because they're like, man, there's just something different about that group of people. They love, they genuinely care, they genuinely understand it, and they want to bring everybody together and not drive people apart. But when we have division and side quarrels and, and disunity in, 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 among the people, we will be a resistible, a resistible group. But if we can love radically like Jesus loved and bring healing and reconciliation to where there's tension, we will be a force that is so irresistible that people want to be a part of. And love to fish is how you can plant a seed and, and begin to help people discover and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And you have a part to play. And I'm going to ask you to lean into God. Lean into the Holy Spirit. God, how can I? What should or shouldn't I post on social media? What should or shouldn't I say? Who, and, and sh who should I talk to and reach out? What information should I consume? Holy Spirit, what do you say about this? And we can lean in to Him and how we navigate all of the disunity and tension in our, in our world. And then you can find your giftings and, and lean into God and say, how have you wired me to serve others? What, what, what possessions have you given me that I can leverage for other people? What, what, what are ways in which you've given me, only me, the ability to express your love to the people that I come in contact with, lean into that and serve others and plant seeds of love that I think will bloom into life transformation of them responding to the gospel. Paul here, the Apostle Paul in, the, in, in 1 Corinthians, he's kind of rebuking the Corinthian church because they were misusing, uh, seeking out God's uh, uniqueness for their life and their spiritual giftings. They were seeking them for selfish reasons. And Paul's rebuking them saying, no, stop. Like that, None of that even matters. And Paul says, I will show you a better way. In verse 31, he says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Quit selfishly desiring uh, status and authority and like theological like understanding and like prophetic wisdom and gifts of healing and tongues and interpretation. He's like, he's like, yeah, you can desire them, but desire them in the right context. And I'm still going to show you the most excellent way, loving to fish. And 1 Corinthians 13 says this, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul was saying, without love, you are literally nothing. 
you gain nothing. Your fishing is really not going to go very far. It's not going to be very productive. Because think about it. If you just say, come and see and invite somebody, but you don't love them and they don't know that you have a posture of love, it's just a marketing ploy against them and they're probably not going to respond. But if you have a relationship with that individual that you're going to invite and they know that you're for them and know that you love them and you invite them to come and see them like, yeah, I'll come. And they might be just more receptive to engaging with that invitation. And then if you're going to share your story and you don't have love and you, they, people don't know that you love them and that you exude Christ-like love and care and genuine authenticity to their life and you begin to open up, they're going to be like, it doesn't matter how well thought out it is, how, how well you word it, how compelling it is. If you don't have love in, in, in that relationship with that person, they're going to be like, hey, great story. But when you have love, they'll be like, wow, thank you. I, I want that in my life. I see the benefit and I, and I see what it did for you. And I know that you care about me and that's why you're sharing this with me. And they might just respond if you do it in love. If we don't have love at the core, what's it for? It's nothing. We, 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 we gain nothing. Bob Goff wrote a book called Love Does. If you've never read it, you should go read it. And Bob Goff, it's a, it's a, it's a compi- compilation of stories of his life. And Bob is an incredible example of what it means to love people and serve people and be selfless and give himself away. And in that story, it fires me up and encourages me. I'm like, yeah, that's what it should look like. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And, and I just want us, and, and, and the title, Love Does, is exactly what I want to, to hang with right here for a minute. Love is an action. It's not a philosophy or a mindset of like a good-willed intention to be nice to people, but it's action. When it comes down to it, how will I serve? How will I love? How will I actionably have an impact in somebody's life, denying myself, giving myself away for the betterment of someone else? That is what love and love does. And now I'm going to read maybe the most iconic passage for weddings that is read at probably every wedding ceremony about what love is. And it's not just for marriages and that romantic bond before God and between a man and a woman. It is for you and I, every single person who follows Christ, this is what our life should look like. And when I read these characteristics of what love is, I want you to think, how can I do this this week? What's an actionable, tangible way in which I can do that to, to someone this week? And then the week after, and then the week after, and build in a posture and a demeanor of loving with action, love does. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When you're sitting at the red light and the car in front of you turns green and they don't go, instead of laying on the horn, just be patient, especially if you got the living for fishing bumper sticker on the back, <laughs> right? When, when somebody's wronged you, be willing to forgive, be slow to speak, don't get angry, don't, don't cause division, right? Don't boast, don't be proud, don't be self-seeking, be selfless. Don't talk about evil, but rejoice in the truth and protect and trust and hope. Love never fails. So when love is at the core of everything that we do as a Jesus follower, the world's going to be impacted and changed. And I just don't want us to miss that. The love is the core. And Jesus said, love your God with everything that you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest commandments that we have. And I just want us to focus on that in this time. And then no matter how we fish and how we share our faith and share our gospel, love has to be at the core. And John 15, 13, Jesus says this, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. 
There's no greater love than you willing to lay down your life for one's friend. Jesus is just foreshadowing what he's about to do. He said, hey, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for you so that you didn't have to. Because there's a payment for the sin in the world and in our lives that we can't escape except through the death on the cross of Jesus. He laid down his life for you and I. It's the greatest form of love. And none of us will probably ever be asked to lay down our life for somebody else. Unless you're a military man or, man or woman, and we, we thank you and we appreciate your sacrifice that you made. We just celebrated Memorial Day for all the lost veterans, people who gave their life for our freedom, and we just thank you and we appreciate that sacrifice. So unless you're in the military, you're probably never going to be asked to lay down your life for somebody else. But it may look differently for you. You may die to that financial purchase because you're going to continue to live generous and give away your excess money to people who need it. You might, you might die to that dream of a career or a job because you feel a call to serve those who need uh, the less fortunate or, or the impoverished or the, maybe some, there's a group of people that you need to serve and that job is going to allow you to serve them and you're going to miss out on maybe that dream job that you had because you have a call in your life to, to serve and to give your life away, to die to your dreams. You know, maybe some of you have a, have a call to maybe do full-time ministry and walk away from a, from a career and a life that you have and a plan that you have and, and step into full-time ministry and give your life away and die to yourself for the betterment of other people. Self-sacrifice for the betterment of other people. So how can we self-sacrifice, just like Christ sacrificed for us with his own life, in ways in which we could show tangible forms of love and bring maybe a revolution and reconciliation and healing to our world? Now, I want to end with this. It's called the bridge illustration. And this is a tangible way in which you can, you can share the gospel. Like if you are at a restaurant and you have a napkin, like you literally can just kind of give this illustration out. It summarizes the gospel incredibly simple. And I just want to walk everyone through it here and showing how Jesus laid down his life for you and I. So it's going to come up on the screen. And I just want you to write down the verse Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. So you write that down. As, uh, not 32, 23. You get it. Now, you draw a little a gap. And we begin to explain this. You, you circle these two phrases. For the wages and a gift. And you put wages over here on the left side. And you put a gift over here on the right side. And you say, well, sin and God. We're going to connect those two. And we're going to put sin on the left side. And we're going to put God on the right side. And then we're going to circle eternal or death and eternal life. We're going to put death on the left side and eternal life on the right side. And then you're going to be able to explain that all of us deserve to be punished for our separation from God, from our sin that separates us from God. There's a wage. And I want to think about wage and gift. Wage is earned. Like if you're working, you've, you've discussed the wage. You work a certain amount of hours and you receive that wage in compensation. So you, you've earned it. You've deserved it. But a gift is free. There's no strings attached. It's given to you. And that's the difference between the sin that we have in our life. Is there's a wage. There's a cost that we, we deserve. But God is going to extend a gift to us that's freely given. It's called grace. 
And then there's sin and there's God circled together, you see. And sin and God circled together means sin isn't just the bad and the evil things that we do in this life. I mean, evil exists. We know that. We have a moral conscience. We know that murder is bad. We know that evil exists. We're not naive to that. But that's not just what sin is. Sin is when we live for something other than God. And we all live for something in this life, whether it's fame, fortune, money, power, success, acceptance, whatever it is. We live for something other than God. And that would be in rebellion against God because we were made to be in relationship with God. And when we don't accept that, we're living in sin, which the wages of sin of not living in relationship with God is death. And death and eternal life are together here, right? But death, I'm not talking just about physical death when you die. I'm talking about eternal death. And eternal death is is living in separation from God forever, And so if we don't make that decision to follow God and engage with Him and and seek out reconciliation in that relationship, we deserve the payment. The wage of sin is eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life. And you know what that gift is? Here's what you do. You say, hey, we're here. This is me or this is you. We're over here. All of us. We start here on the left side. And there's a gap. We can't get to God because of the sin in our life. It causes this gap between us and God. But here's how we can get across the gap. And you just begin to draw in a cross. And you put Jesus across right there in the middle of the cross. And you say that God's son, Jesus, paid the wage, and draw a line, for your sin, which was death. And he took the death for your sin, paid the price on the cross, which is the gift that God gave us to be in a relationship with him, which is called eternal life. It's simple in concept, but it's hard because we have to take the step onto the bridge and trust in Jesus. And we call that trust. To get to the other side, you have to trust in this bridge, in the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So where are you? And I would ask a person, if I'm doing this illustration, where are you? Are you here on the left side? Are you on the right side? And if somebody says they're in the middle, I would question that and say, I don't think you'd be in the middle. Because once you make that decision and step out and put your trust and weight on that cross, you're going to walk across it. You're going to end up on the other side. It's like a conveyor belt. It's going to just take you across and say, welcome home, my son or my daughter, the one that I created you in my image and I long to be in a relationship with you. So that's the bridge illustration. You can use that in a tangible way to share with people. But sharing this bridge illustration without love isn't going to work. It's nothing. So you and I, let's go and live a life of love at the core and drink from the same source so there's not disunity. Keep the Holy Spirit and the Bible running everything through that so we can live in harmony and unity and bridge the gap of the tension in our world and bring the gospel and the message and the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone around us by the way in which we love. Let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you for your son Jesus and the death on his cross. And I hope that we would never take that for granted. Father, that we would continually remember that and be appreciative of that and so grateful for that sacrifice so that I could overcome uh, my sin and the, and the evil and the bad things in my life and have a new life in you, new creation in you. And God, help us to follow you. Help us to pursue you. Help us to seek out your love because I believe, God, we, we cannot love like you unless we have you, the Holy Spirit, instructing us and helping us. So, Father, help us seek you, prioritize you, be filled with you so that we can love the world around us in a radical way to where life transformation happens. And we just thank you again, and we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.